I'm continuing to hope in faith. Now, we've got all of our chairs back in place. Woohoo! That's a good thing, right? We have tables where you can actually drink coffee. This is wonderful, isn't it not? Whew. Okay, maybe I'm excited. Hopefully, eventually you will be. Maybe it'll be in, like, is it a week or maybe not this, this weekend, but next weekend. I think the mask actually will be gone. This is wonderful. And in the words of the famous philosopher Thomas Cochran, I will say this. Life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long. And if you're going my way, we want to ride it all night long. You know, if you look on the internet about life is a, you'll find a whole bunch of things. You'll find some funny ones. You'll find some, some interesting ones. And you'll find some absolutely stupid ones. That's, that's basically the internet. Those three things. Funny, interesting, stupid. I won't tell you the levels of each. You can figure that out for yourself. You know, life is a. Life is a puzzle. Life is a celebration. Life is a many splendored thing. Life is a box of chocolates. That's my Forrest Gump impression. I don't know if you really understood that. Life is a box of chocolates. My mom's favorite was life is a bowl of cherries. Remember that one? Life is a bowl of cherries. What does that mean anyways? It's tasty and get your hands red? I'm not too sure. Well, you know, Mike, life is a bowl of cherries. Oh, that's good. What does that mean? Mom, are you feeling okay? Maybe you should lie down. I like life as a highway, right? Life is a highway. There's something about the fact that you're wanting to live life to the fullest, right? And all of a sudden you begin to say, I want to live life to the fullest. You are reminded of the words that Jesus said. I've come that you might have life, what? Abundantly. To the fullest. And so I see God in the whole process. Life is a highway. And if life is a highway to Jacob, whom we're talking about, he at the point in our story is at a turn. He is at a bend in the road. Some may even call it a U-turn. And something happens. There are those times on the journey in our life where we go through change, crossroads, and for those of us who have journeyed with God will recognize that as they look back, there have been crossroads in their lives. Times where God says, isn't there some place that you need to be? You ever have God say that to you? Isn't there, isn't there a place where you need to be? And there's a change that happens. The challenge to go ahead, the, to, to avoid the danger of staying where you are, of stranding yourselves, of being stagnant in your walk. And God will ultimately push you ahead. If you've been serving Jesus for any length of time, this will be true. There will be challenges. There will be times where God will be topping you on your shoulder, say, hey, it's time to move on. It's time to go forward. I don't know if there will ever be a time where God will say, listen, you have arrived. When, when God says, you have arrived, you're probably in heaven. Right? It's true. There's all kinds of crossroads that we face. There are career crossroads. There, there are, are those people, and, and if you own a business, I pray for you a lot more than what you think. Uh, you know, my, my wife's father owned a, a large business, and I just remember the decisions that he had to make, the forecasting, the looking ahead, all the things, the difficulties, and there, there are crossroads that happen in, in business life and, and careers and career changes, and, and there are change crossroads. 
times when life will throw you a, a curveball, times when all of a sudden all of your kids leave the house and you're kind of stuck there by yourself and thinking, this is a little bit different. I thought I was happy to see them go. I don't know if I'm as happy to see them go. And, and you will hit times in your life. There will be moments that take place where there will be change. You'll be at a crossroads. You'll be at a time where, where God is pushing you ahead in the process. And sometimes it is what we'll call choice. I'll call that either choice or crisis moments. Times when you are up against the wall. Something terrible is taking place or something urgent has taken place. And, and so what you do is you kind of have that list of the pros and cons. Are you a pro and a con person? Kind of have that list, pros and cons? I have sometimes. But when it's a heart issue, I don't care what the pros and the cons say. I need the wisdom of God. And, um, and there are those crossroads that you have, those times where God is doing something in his life. He is interjecting. He is moving. He is always moving. And there are what we will call the character crossroads. And to me, those are the important ones. Because at every crossroad, whether it's a career, a change, a crisis, or a choice, when God is working on you, he's developing your character. He's making you into uh, his image. And so it's important to understand this whole process. And if you don't understand um, the, the process, then sometimes we get lost. And that's what Genesis chapter 31 is all about. And that's why it's so important. Because as we look at this, this chapter of Scripture, you will realize that there's a pattern which is set. And it goes, what I will call, for those of you note takers, goes from confirmation to complication to determination. And if you can give me a few minutes just to kind of talk about this and, and lay down some groundwork to show you how important this is. And I have a lot of things, that, a lot of verses that I'm going to be reading. So I'm going to be reading a lot of verses. And I'm going to be kind of stopping. Uh, because I need to somehow explain some of the things which are taking place. In the words of Ricky Ricardo, I have some splaining to do. As we go through the, the passages uh, of scripture. And so, if you're just joining us along this journey. We're talking about the life of Jacob. Jacob the grabber, Jacob the deceiver, who God is turning into Israel, the one who strives with God. And at this point, and in the last week, we talked about the fact that envy basically destroyed, almost destroyed his family. It says in James 3, if you have bitter envy and strife in your life, lie not, glory not against it. It's earthly, sensual, it's devilish. And where there is bitter envy and strife, there is confusion and every evil work. Well, that was shown in Genesis chapter 29 and Genesis uh, chapter 30. So here he is at a point, and God has somehow blessed him. And he's talking to Laban, and the situation is such that God is all of a sudden beginning to tap him on the shoulder. The problem is, he's hiding from a brother who he ran from 20 years ago. And so all of these cards seem to be on the table. He loved one woman only. But because of his trickster uncle... He now has two wives and two maidservants with whom he's had children. Four. It's kind of confusion. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing to stop and think about this. But what happens is God prospers him. He prospers him to the point where Laban begins to realize that he's losing everything. So let me talk to you 
real quickly about this, and I'm hoping that you can follow along. I don't want to make a confusion, but I think that there's something deep for us to understand here. So Genesis chapter 31. Let's start, and I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read Genesis 30, verses 25 and 26, and then I'll go right into Genesis chapter 31. It says this, After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so I can go back to my homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I have done for you. And so six years passes by, and we come to Genesis chapter 31. It says this, And now Jacob heard the Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all the wealth from our belonged, belonged, that what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives so that I will be with you. And so Jacob sent Rachel to Rachel and Leah to come into the fields where, where his flocks were. There's a reason why he calls the wives out to the flocks. He's going to be asking them to go with him. And in order for him to ask him, he wants them out in the fields so that they can see everything that God has done for them. It's the big ask. But verse 5 says, then he says to him, I see your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked with your father with all my strength, that your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the, all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw the male goats mating with the flocks that were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating and the flocks are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. Now, this is important. If you read in the chapter before, Jacob kind of uses this, this weird system of, of, of carving up different types of wood. And, and it is probably believed at that time that that was kind of the newest kind of way to... to um, to have sheep that would be speckled or spotted or, or plain. It was, the thought was, okay, if, if at the trough where they are and they're mating and they're strong, what they are seeing will be what they become. And you think, what is this all about? Is he practicing something weird? No. What happened was either God gave him a vision to do that or God moved despite that. So verse 13 says, And I am the God of Bethel, where you were anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. And, and Jake, Rachel and Leah said, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. What was happening here is the girls were angry. Well, they were angry because... Jacob had to work 14 years without getting anything, almost in poverty, because all it was, the deal was, listen, you work for seven years, I'm not really going to pay you anything, I'll just kind of give you room and board. For 14 years he did this. And Laban, even though he probably had a lot of money, he did not know how to keep money. Because what had happened is what the girls are saying is this, he spent our dowry. When, when you get married, there was a dowry that was supplied for the wife that the father holds in case... The father, in case the, uh, the husband dies or goes away, this was the thing that was going to support them. The girls are angry 
because dad just spent it. It's all gone. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us, and he drove all of his life, livestock ahead of him along with all the goods that he had accumulated in Padam Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Jacob. Let's stop there. The first step is confirmation. I believe that in the life of every Christian, every passionate follower of Jesus, that God speaks. Don't have to be a pastor. Don't have to be a missionary. You have to be a person who loves Jesus, that God begins to call you. But there are certain things that are in place. How do we know that God has called me? How do I determine God's will? There are a number of things here. There's, first of all, what I will call desire. If you read in Genesis 30, he says this, Hey, Laban, let me go. This is on my heart to do. Let me go. And so I find many times God will stir our hearts. God will put desires in our hearts. It says in, in Psalm chapter 37, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will what? Give you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of people misinterpret that saying, okay, well, I'm going to have all these things and God's basically your word says that everything I like, you have to give me. Well, no. Basically, what that, that, that passage says is, when I believe and love God with all of my heart, then my heart begins to levitate about the things that God thinks are important. They become the desires of my heart. But if that's the case, there have been times, I'll tell you, where... I could not determine what God's will was and what my selfish will was. Have you ever had that? There are times when it is hard to tell the difference between one and the other. So what do you do in those times where you feel God is leading you somewhere and you're not sure? One word. Percolation. What? Is this not one of your another crazy words, Pastor Mike? Yes, it is. Percolation. What is percolation? It is the process of letting what God says to you sit. To simmer. I have found at times when God has spoken to my heart, there have been things that I thought, this is absolutely the will of God. And then after a week it goes away. Or whatever goes by, and it is still hot on my heart. Many times that's how I can determine what desires God has put in my heart. You read um, Genesis chapter 30 and Genesis 31, six years goes by. The desire that, that Jacob had was in him for six years. And then what happens after desire is what will be called discomfort. All of a sudden, things are not as nice as they used to be. You feel no longer feel settled where you are. All of a sudden, the situation with his relationship with Laban is different. He doesn't like him anymore. There's an inner agitation. There's a growing pressure against the desire to stay put. You get laid off from work. Something terrible happens that you didn't realize, and now you find yourself in a predicament that you don't know about. All of a sudden, it's not so comfortable being where you're at. Discomfort. Then there's direct instruction. All of a sudden, at that time, God says, listen. You need to go. I am going to take care of you. Don't you wish that God kind of did it that way as well? Jacob, here I am, God. Here's the instruction. Why is it that that doesn't happen today like it did before? Well, two things. Jacob never had the word of God, which we have today. The other thing is, the spirit of God resides in us now. When you know Jesus, he comes into your heart. 
that wasn't so much the case at that time. The Spirit of God still was operating just in a different matter at that time. But God still does speak to us through his words. Sometimes he speaks through prophetic words. Sometimes he speaks through dreams. Sometimes he speaks through times where we're just continually before his face. God just instructs us. And then the other one is like direct people. There are people who love you, who love Jesus, and have some insight. And all of a sudden, there's something where God is leading you to do. Sometimes it is good to go to those people. In this case, it was his wives. Maybe not the most spiritual people. But God said to them, yes. Now let's go to complication. Can we read on? Okay. Now, verse 19 says this. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived all he had, crossed the Euphrates River and, and headed for a hill country in Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Jacob's got a three-day head start, What he has all of his family and everything. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in all of his hill country of Gilead. Then God comes to Laban the Aramean in a dream that night and said, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead, and when Laban overtook him, and Laban had his relatives camped there, why didn't Laban go himself? Why did he bring his whole family? Well, he wanted, he wanted to intimidate him. And so Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? Why have you deceived me? You carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? This is absolutely untrue. He couldn't leave Laban. He wanted to leave Laban. Nobody left Laban. You'll read a couple chapters before where Abraham's servant meets up with Laban and Laban keeps him around as long as he possibly can. It's, it's every, absolutely saying is absolutely exaggerated. He says, you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You've done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. The literal translation is good to bad. So in other words, Laban, you better not let this situation go from good to bad. Laban was going bankrupt. It is my belief that Laban was going to kill Jacob. That's how much God had blessed Jacob. How do we know this? Well, Laban's son said it. And the loss of Jacob was getting so great that Laban began changing the deal. Ten times he changes the deal. He was so desperate that he spent the daughter's dowry. And if you read a couple cha chapters later as he meets up with Esau, take a look at all the things that he had given. He had become rich. This is the situation. Now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's household. But why did you steal my gods? Steal her gods. Now, the idols that Rachel stole, there's a Hebrew word for that. It's called teraphim. It's different than other instances where it talks about idols. These teraphim were very small figurines. And they many times looked like ancestors. They looked like people that lived. It was like a little trophy of grandpa or a little trophy of great grandpa. And the thought was, 
that if you were able to have these idols, that somehow the, the ancestors from the past would be able to tell you what was happening, that they had a, a perspective that perhaps Laban didn't have. So by divination, somehow God would speak to them. And so it was, it was a very important thing. Not only that, we find recent, recent archaeology has shown us that, that these idols were used in business deals. When you had one family dealing with another family, that many times these teraphim were, were involved. And not only that, they also showed that the person who held the idols was the one who also received the inheritance. So basically, Rachel is saying, you took my dowry, Dad. You owe me. And so I'm going to keep the idols. I don't care if my brothers get anything. Isn't that deceitful? Isn't that despicable? Well, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. She has a husband and she has a father who are exactly the same way. And so all of a sudden we go from what is called um, complication. We go from confirmation. God speaking to our hearts, revealing his will. To all of a sudden, things don't go the way they're supposed to. I think sometimes we're under the impression that if it's God's will, then everything will go well for me. It will be a really smooth road. If there's a bump in the road, it's not God's will. Well, tell that to Joseph and Mary who actually had a visitation from an angel explaining what the will of God is. And even though they knew exactly what the will of God was, they had to ride on a mule for miles and miles and miles and miles in hot weather at eight months pregnant. I don't know what that is, even though it looks like I might know what that looks like. I don't know what that looks like. And when they get there, there's not even a hotel room for them. Why is it, folks, that the road to God's will is never the one of least resistance. And just because things are hard for you right now, it does not mean that you are not in God's will. And many times, the opposite is true. Well, why does that happen? Why is it hard? Why is it difficult? Well, there's a few things. You know, sometimes because without faith, it is impossible, it's impossible to please him. Unless you're exerting some kind of faith, then God can't move. God can't exercise faith. The other reason is, is because he uses every challenge to build our character. God is always working on you. And sometimes he takes you through the difficult times to build the character in you. And many times it's because trust is developed through conflict that, that we see this. That there's conflict that's there. You will never ever see a miracle of God unless there is a complication with which a miracle needs to happen. The other thing is that our flesh sometimes makes us our own worst enemy. The other thing is this, that although there is a God who has a will, there is also a devil who does not like it happening. And sometimes God allows Satan to put up roadblocks in the way. There's confirmation. There's times where God speaks to you to go ahead. But there's also complication. It's always there. You see it. And from there, there needs to be a determination for us to go ahead. Just because there's a bump in the road, God doesn't want you to quit. Let's read on. 
I'm going to read uh, Genesis chapter 31, uh, verse 31, and I'm going to go on to the rest. It says this. Now, Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought when well, you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you had anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anyone of yours here with me, and if so, take it. Now Jacob didn't know that Rachel had stolen the gods, so Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside of her camel saddle and was sitting on them. And Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. And Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord. I cannot... Stand up in your presence. I am having my period. And so she, he searched, could not find the household gods. And Jacob was angry and took Laban to task and said, What is my crime? He asked Laban, how have, you, how have I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found belongs to your household? Put it here in front of our relatives and mine, your relatives and mine, and let us judge between the two of us. I've been with you for 20 years. Your sheep and goats have miscarried, nor have not miscarried, nor have I, have I eaten rams from your flock. I did not bring your animals torn by world beasts. I bore the, the loss myself, and, and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, in the cold at night, and the sleep, the sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years. I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for two daughters and six years for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father and Abraham and the fear of Jacob had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has sent my hardship and the toil of my hands, and, and last night he rebuked you. Laban answered, the women are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Really? I don't know if that's true. Yet, what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and, and let it serve as a witness between us. So that Jacob took a stone and set up a pillar and said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. And Laban called, called it, Yagar Shahadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. Why are the two different names? Well, the name that David gives it is in Hebrew. The name that, that uh, Laban gives it is in Aramaic. It means the exact same thing, a monument between the two, almost like a border between the two. And it is the only time in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that Aramaic is spoken. So Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. This is why it is called Galit. It is also called Missa because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters or if you take wives for yourselves beside my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, here's this heap and here's this pillar that I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness and a pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap on your side to harm you, and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his God Isaac, 
and offered a sacrifice there in the hill and invited the relatives to a meal. And after they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren, his daughters, and blessed them. And he left and returned home. For those that think this is just a wonderful peace offering, it wasn't. It was a let's agree to disagree. And if you're wrong, may God judge you. And if I'm wrong, may God do something, but I don't know. And so you notice that he gets up and he kisses his children, he kisses his grandchildren, but he doesn't kiss Laban, or he doesn't kiss Jacob, because he's angry. There's, there's, there's tension that still arise because God had so much done so much to Laban through this whole process. So we go from confirmation to confirmation, complication, to thing which we will call determination. And it is this. This is what determination when you know that God has called you to something and it's difficult, God still requires you to work it through. God is still calling you to do everything you possibly can to serve him. And this was seen so much. And there are a number of things. There are four things that Jacob either had to become determined to do or would have to become determined to do. The first thing was this. He had to flee. He had to get out of the clutches of his father-in-law. Um, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. He had to get away from the, from the domination, the manipulation. He had to get rid of what had held him back for years to dislodge the old support systems. He needed courage to escape something that held him back for years. In this case, it was Laban's control. Here's my question to you. What do you have to break free from? What are the things that are in your life that you have to flee? What has held you back? What are the attitudes that you have had? What are the lies that you have believed? What are the statements that people have made for you and you have taken for truth that you now have to say, this is not true. I'm no longer going to believe these lies. I'm no longer going to depend on this. I'm going to serve God. It's a big part. You need to be determined to serve him by fleeing from some of the things that hold you back. Fear and intimidation. I have the power to hurt you. David was afraid. Or sorry, Jacob was afraid. He leaves Laban. But God takes care of him. Have you ever noticed that faith and fear um, never reside? They're kind of independent of each other. And if you have a lot of fear... Many times you won't have a lot of faith. Fear will eat faith. But if you have a lot of faith and a little bit of fear, then faith will eat fear. But they don't usually reside together, do they? That's why God says through the word, how many times, how many dozens of times does God say, fear not? Don't be. He had to be, he had to be determined to get rid of fear. How about the false gods? Well, hey, Jacob didn't know about the false gods. Well, let me tell you something. The most dangerous false gods are the ones you don't know about. The last one was focus. If you listen to that whole conversation, all the things that Jacob said is, I, me, my. And when anger becomes self-focused, many times it actually takes you away. From the will of God. Confirmation. Complication. Here's the one thing I know as I close up here. 
God never knew, moves his people, but to a place where they're brought closer to him. And in those times, if you're at a crossroads, and I'm not too sure if you're at a crossroads or not. I'm not too sure what's happening in your life. But when God does change, and when God does it, he will always move you in a place of greater blessing. He never moves you backwards. Here's the mistake we make. We tend to think that he moves us to a place of greater ease or an easier life. No, it's not true. He always moves us to a place of greater blessing. I don't know if you've ever heard of a fellow whose name was Erwin Krauts. Um, Forty years ago, he was in the news. He was plastered all over the news. Probably more like 45 years ago. Um, Erwin Krauts. Um, there was an article about him which was called The World's Last Tourist. He's 49 years old. And he is, works in a brewery. He, he works in a place where they, um, where they create beer in Germany. I think it's in Hamburg that he was, or Frankfurt that he, he lived. And, and as he watched TV, he saw this beautiful city, San Francisco, and said, this is such a wonderful place. I don't know how many beers he'd had in him at that time. But he said, I'm going to spend my life savings and go to San Francisco. And so what he does is he gets on a plane. He had never been on a plane. I don't think he had even been out of Germany. And so he gets on this plane. And in order to get over the plane, you need to fly over the, the ocean. And he, he stops in a place which is called Bangor, Maine. And before continuing on to California, the air stewardess who had finished her shift said to Mr. Crouts, Have a nice time in San Francisco. Her choice of words would change his life. Now, Krauts, who normally drinks 17 beers a day, was a little groggy. On hearing this, he got off the plane, jumped into a cab, and asked the driver to take him to the city. The cab dropped him off at a hotel in downtown Bangor. And he found a tavern to quench his thirst. And he wandered, wandered Bangor for 50 days, or, sorry, 50, 33 days, sorry, three days, sorry, enjoying the sights and the sounds that Maine had to offer. Unfortunately, Krauss was still thinking that he was in San Francisco. After all, where I'm saying they have two Chinese food restaurants, and I noticed on TV in San Francisco they had Chinese food restaurants. So what happens is he figures he's on the outside of town. He's kind of in a suburb, and so he says, I'm going to go into town. I haven't seen this Golden Gate Bridge. I haven't seen all these hills and, and wonderful things that I saw on the TV. And so he gets into a taxi, and he says, Drive me to downtown San Francisco. Get out. Cab takes off. He goes back to the tavern. Begins to ask the, the waitresses there about how he needs to get in to the city of San Francisco. And they can't understand him. He speaks German. They find a, a lady whose name is, uh, is Gertrude Romine, who spoke German. <laughs> and she says, boy, are you lost. She takes him into the house. And all of a sudden, the community of Bangor, Maine, finds out, and it gets into the paper, and then it gets into the national news, and then it gets into the international news, to the point that the examiner in San Francisco calls him up and says, listen, we'll pay for you. We'll pay for you to get to San Francisco. So he flies to San Francisco. He meets the mayor. He goes through all these dignitary things, and finally, when he needs to get back to the brewery, he steps on a plane, and they give him a sign which says, please let me off in Frankfurt. And I ask myself as I read this story, how many 
in our churches? How many in our pews are a little bit like Irwin, that we're on a journey, we're on a destination, that God has us going, and somehow something has happened along the way, and we have gotten off the plane. Perhaps even thinking that we're still in the will of God. That God has a destiny for us, and it somehow has gotten difficult. Somehow there have been challenges that you said, I don't know if I want to face these challenges. Or somehow in your life, and somehow you just said, you know what, I would rather stay here. I'd rather stay here in Bangor, Maine, than make it to San Francisco. I think that God has a destiny for every single one of us. I think God has a plan and great things that he wants to do in every single one of our lives. And if I could say one thing to you, don't get off the plane. Allow God to finish the work in you. Allow him to take you to the place of greater blessing, even if it's a little bit difficult, even if you're going to have to work a little bit hard because God's in it. I just want to be where God wants me to be. Amen? Is that not true? God, I pray that you move. I pray for any person who's here who does not know Jesus. And the first thing that God is calling them to is to know him in a personal way. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you can know him. It's by acknowledging your sin and saying, God, I'm a sinner, but I need you to forgive me. I need you to come in and be Lord of my life. That's the very first step in the journey. Lord, I also pray, Father, for those who are challenged tonight, Father, those who are challenged today, that the Spirit of God is saying, I know i got to get on the plane again, God. I'm not done. I've been kind of happy where I am, but I know that I'm not in the place where God wants me to be. He's wanting me to go further. God, I just pray. Melt our souls, God. Lord, give us a fortitude to serve you fully and totally, God. As, as we come out of this COVID, whatever is there, you're going to be having to call us to be strong, to have fortitude, to be determined, to allow the Spirit of God to do great things through us. And that's whether you're a pastor or whether you are a teacher or whether you're a business owner or whether it, you are a person who picks up trash, whether you're a janitor, whether, whether you are a student or, or whether you are just unemployed at this time and God just has you hold in a holding pattern, I'm not too sure. I don't, I don't know. All I know is that God desires to bring us to a place of blessing. And there needs to be a prayer of many of us that says this. Okay, God, despite the difficulty, I want to be determined again to serve you completely with my whole life. So have your way, God. Minister deeply. Allow the presence of God to move. May you be lifted up, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.